what is our idea of prayer? How do we pray? What, what should our prayer life look like? And that's what we want to look at today, how we grow by engaging with prayer. We've been doing this grow series, talking about different ways that we grow, and we've talked about how we uh, grow by engaging with the, with the word last week. Today, we talked about, or today we're going to talk about how we're growing by engaging with prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about how we grow by engaging with community. So we want to look at this, at this prayer thing right now. What, what is God's concept of that? What is he wanting us to know about that? First of all, what I want us to do is look at, at the example of Jesus and see that Jesus was an example of a prayerful life. Jesus, when you look at his life, he showed us what a prayerful life looks like. And to me, that's kind of amazing when you think he was the son of God. And if anybody you would think didn't need to pray, you would think it was him. But let's take a look at a few verses right now that just show what Jesus' pattern was in his life. Mark 135 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, to 23 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Luke 6, 12 to 13, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Luke 9:28 about 8 days after Jesus said this he took Peter John and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray Luke 5:16 but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed Mark 14:32 to 38 they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples sit here while i pray You see over and over again in Jesus's life that he's taking time out to pray and I mean, just think, he had this crazy life. He was going around, you know, teaching people. Crowds were, were appearing everywhere he went, you know, thronging him, wanting him to, to heal them, do miracles. So, I mean, he had these demands on him all the time, and yet he still felt like it was important for him to set aside time to pray. And I think one of the things that we can learn from Jesus' example is that Jesus made prayer a priority. He made prayer a priority. He regularly set aside time to pray. Why? Because he wanted to spend time with the Father. It wasn't because he, he needed it. He was God. But he wanted to commune with his Father. He, he wanted to, to be in relationship with him. And I think the other thing we, we see from Jesus' example is that he prayed privately. He regularly withdrew to secluded places to pray, often by himself. Why? Because Jesus knew that seclusion was needed to have an intimate relationship with his father. He knew, he knew he needed to be away from the distractions, all of the voices that were around him, all the people, you know, wanting things and, and the people that were in need that were coming to him. He had to still set aside some time to be with himself and the father, to be by himself in communion with God because he knew that that was... That was his source of power. That was his source of life. That was, that was the relationship he wanted to continue to foster. So he made prayer a priority, and he prayed privately. But I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the, probably the most significant passage in the Bible 
regarding Jesus' teaching on prayer. And that's a very familiar passage, but it has some just great, great things for us that I want us to think about and consider today. So let's look at Matthew 6, 5 to 15 right now. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And this is from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus went up on a mountainside, a crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And this is what he taught them about, about prayer. He said, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we see some very explicit prayer instructions for us that Jesus gives in this passage. First of all, we see that Jesus admonishes us to pray secretly. Pray secretly. Does that mean that that Jesus was against public prayer or didn't think that we should have public prayer or pray together when we're believers? No, of course not. We know that we know from the Old Testament that uh, the Israelites were called together corporately many times to pray throughout the year. They would pray at, at different feasts and, and celebrations that they had. So that was a, regularly part, a regular part of their life of praying together in those ways. And we also know that even in the early church, uh, when the first believers got together, that praying was a regular practice. They prayed together. So Jesus is not saying that, that it's not okay to pray together or to pray publicly or pray corporately. What he's talking about here is, is the heart. He's talking about our motives. And he, he talks about these people, the hypocrites, who were praying publicly to be seen by others. So in the Jewish culture at that time, we know it was a very religious culture, right? They, were, they, they considered themselves the people of God. So whereas it's very different in our culture today, in that culture, if you prayed in public, that would actually be a, a, a thing that people would see as, oh, well, you know, that's an honorable thing. That's a good thing. Um, whereas today, maybe it might not be seen that same way. So we need to understand that cultural setting there and why this was a big deal. So the Pharisees and others often would pray in ways to draw attention to themselves. They would, they would, we're not sure if they actually would pray on street corners, but what they may have been referring to is that they had regular times of prayer um, throughout the day. And so the fact would, it would be the fact that the Pharisees would always be sure they were up and walking around at that time on the way to the place of prayer, usually the synagogue. So they wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be seen. They wanted others to recognize them as being, you know, spiritual and, and holy people. So what, what Jesus is really addressing here is the heart. He's saying, 
your heart should not, in prayer, should not be about impressing other people or in, in any way worrying about what other people think at all. Your heart should be to, to spend time with the Father, to spend time communing with him, not, not to be worrying about what other people think. Now, in our culture today, I think it's probably just the opposite. I think now today it's kind of more of us are like, oh, I don't know if I should pray, you know, for my food and, and at the restaurant here. Maybe somebody might see me. You know, I mean, I hope we don't say, think that, but I, you know, we're human. So I, I know that's, I'm sure that's crossed people's minds at times. Um, again, it's, it's the matter of the heart, right? Our heart should be, we're not worried about what other people think. It's not some, it's not whether other people are going to praise us or condemn us for praying. It's about, we want to honor God in that way. We want to come before God. So this first instruction that Jesus gives for us is to pray in secret or to pray secretly. The next thing he says is to pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. He says, don't, don't be like the, hip, by, like the pagans who just babble on. Don't babble on like the pagans. And the pagans was Matthew's word for the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles often, when they would pray to their gods, they would, they would say words over and over again. They would, they would do, you know, crazy things that they thought they had to do to get attention to their, to their gods. We know we, even in the Old Testament when Elijah um, was, was going against the prophets of the Baal, they even cut themselves to try to, to get attention from their God. They kept on saying, you know, their prayer over and over again, thinking somehow that was going to get their attention. So Jesus says, don't be like that. Now, that's not, uh, not how, how you should pray. Don't babble on like the pagans. I want you to pray sincerely. So he says, here's what you need to know. Even before you ask, God already knows what you need. He, he already knows what you are going to say before you say it. He already knows that. So we don't, need to, we don't need to think that, you know, by saying it over and over and over again, that somehow that's going to grab God's attention more. And he, he, he's probably also referring to things like we don't need to worry about, you know, saying flowery language, you know, speaking in King James English or, or you know, trying to say big words to impress God. Again, it's that, it's that heart level that God's concerned about. He's not concerned about our words. He's concerned about what's going on in our heart. So he wants us to pray sincerely. Now, He's not saying that we shouldn't spend protracted amounts of time in prayer. We know Jesus did that often in his ministry. So he's not saying not to spend, you know, good, a good amount of time in prayer. He's not saying not to be persistent in prayer because we know he gave the parable of the persistent widow who kept on coming and he said that was an honorable thing and that her, her request was granted because of her persistence. So it's okay to to over time continue to bring a prayer before the Lord, you know, that hasn't, hasn't been answered yet. He's, he's also not saying that, um, you know, even that it's not okay to repeat a prayer. It's, it's okay to repeat a prayer, but again, the matter is the heart. What's going on inside when we're praying? That's what he's concerned about. And I think he may also be addressing that an effective prayer life is not just one-sided. It's two-way communication. So the, the, the Gentiles, when they were praying, they, I mean, they knew they weren't going to get any kind of real answer from their God. So it was just like, you know, babbling, going on, going, going on. And I'm concerned that sometimes our prayer life is really, unfortunately, very similar to that. I want you to think about this. 
a friend calls you and says, hey, hey, I want to come over to your house today. And you're like, great, you know, come on over. I'm not doing anything. So, so they come on over to your house. They sit down at your table. And they begin to immediately talk to you and can continue going on about, you know, thing, all their problems, about all the things they need, about what can you do for them, you know, is there something you can do? And they continue talking, talking on about this for maybe 30 minutes, and then they, they stand up and say, oh, hey, gotta go. It's been nice talking to you. Bye. Now, what would you think about that? How, how many of us would be like, yes, I want to continue a relationship with this person. <laughs> Come on over every day. No, we'd be like, man, that was pretty one-sided, right? That was, you know, I didn't even get a chance to get a word in. Well, I think sometimes God may feel like that with us. You know, it's like we're going on and on, you know, about all the things. These are the things we're praying about. And some, and they're legitimate things, you know, where we may even be praying for others. We're, you know, we're praying, you know, for people to get healed or people to get saved. But we're going on and on. But then it's kind of like, all right, bye, Jesus. And, you know, we're out the door. And we're never really sitting still waiting for God to perhaps speak to us, okay? So I think part of praying sincerely is creating some space in our prayer time for listening, just being still before God and saying, God, is there anything you want me to see? You know, what, what, what do you want me to see in my life? Just with your, with your Holy Spirit, just take my mind to a place where, where, you know, you want me to see what's going on. Is there some sin in my life that I've not really been paying attention to that I need to confess to you? Um, is, there, is there somebody that, you know, you want to show me how I can be a better witness to them or a better minister to, you know, to them? Is there, is there something else that's going on in my life that needs an adjustment? You know, so, and just sitting still before God and allowing him to speak to us. I encourage you to, to do that. I think that's part of what God's talking about when he's wanting us to pray sincerely and not just babble on like, like the pagans do. The next thing is Jesus calls us to pray specifically. Pray specifically. Jesus gives his followers a fantastic model for prayer here, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. And I, and many scholars, don't believe this prayer was given as simply a prayer to memorize and say by rote, you know, just every day, you know, say the Lord's Prayer and that's it. Um, I think, you know, it's not that that doesn't have any value, but I think there's a whole lot more to it than that, a whole other dimension that Jesus was talking about when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. I think he was giving it to, to us as a model to show us different components of prayer or different types of, of prayer that we can pray as we are coming before God. So let's take just a, a quick look at each of those components. The first three focus on God and the last three focus on us. So the first one, our Father in heaven. Have you ever thought how amazing it is that we can God call God the creator of the universe, more important than the president, more important than any world leader, more important than any movie star, we can call him our father. What an amazing thing that is. We know that the New Testament was written in Greek, but when Jesus spoke these words, it was probably in Aramaic. That was basically the Hebrew language. And the Aramaic word for father is Abba. And it's an intimate word. It's, it's very similar to our word daddy. So 
he, he's almost, Jesus is almost saying, you can come to God like your daddy, like your father. Now, I know, unfortunately, in our messed up world, we, don't, we always don't have the best possible representation of a father in our lives. Some of you have had a father who was, you know, either neglecting or abusive or other things. But when we come to God as our father, we need to recognize he is the ideal father. He's like, take the very best human father you can ever have imagined and take it up like 10 notches. That's, that's what our heavenly father is like. He's not like, you know, so many, I even look at me, you know, I, I tried to be a good dad to my kids, but I messed up uh, time and time again. And there's things I wish I could have do, done differently and things I still wish that sometimes I, I do differently that I, I mess up on because I'm a human, I'm, 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 I mess up, I'm, I'm fallible. But our heavenly father is perfect. So the, the fact that we can come to our, to our God, the creator of the universe, and call him father, how amazing is that? But it also says our father in heaven. And the in heaven part reminds us of God's sovereignty, his majesty. So when we're coming to God, we're coming to him with these two different aspects. One is we're, we're coming to him as like a child saying to, to their daddy, knowing that, you know, he loves us. He wants the best for us. We can be secure in, in what he wants for us and, and, and that he wants the best for our lives. But on the other hand, we are coming before this awesome, amazing God who created the universe. And so we're coming to him with respect and with awe and saying, God, it is, you are awesome. I can't even comprehend you. You're so far outside of the little box that my mind is, contains. I, I can't even imagine you. I can't imagine a being that is everywhere at once, that actually exists outside of time and space because he created time and space. That's why he's omnipresent everywhere at once. That's why he's omniscient, all-knowing. That's why he's omnipotent, all-powerful because he's not confined by time and space. So we're coming to God as our father in that intimate way, but also in this respectful, awesome way, knowing how amazing he is. So that's the first part of the prayer. The next is, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed actually means revered or made holy. So again, we're, we're talking about God being spoken of with the highest honor. And the word name speaks to God's character, his authority. Um, so again, we're coming to this God that we can fully trust fully know has our best interests at heart and and we can come to him in a way that that we're believing and in faith know that he wants the very best for us but we're coming with respect and we're we're, we're coming with awe so for this when I use the Lord's prayer for a model in my prayer life when I do this part hallowed be my name hallowed be your name or my father in heaven hallowed be your name what I'm doing is I'm often recalling many of the names of God. 
um, and I'm recalling the attributes of God, what makes him amazing, what makes him awesome. So I might be praying like, Lord, you are the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Lord, you are omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Lord, you're the great I am. You're not confined by, by space and time. You are awesome, Lord. You're holy. You're wonderful. Counselor, almighty God, Prince of Peace, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. You know, so I'm, I'm coming to, to God and just saying how amazing it is, recalling there's so many names for God in the Bible because of how amazing and what an awesome being he is. So I, I'm coming to God saying those things, and I'm, I'm, and I'm thanking him that in spite of all those things, the fruit of the Spirit is what he is all about. That's what his nature is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So I'm thanking God and praising God and worshiping him for all those things. In your personal prayer time, it might be some of the part of this uh, portion of the prayer might be singing. You might be singing a praise to God. You might be playing if you play an instrument. Um, but it, the, the idea is when we begin our prayer time, we're beginning with praise and worship. So the next part of Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here we're saying we long for that day when Jesus is going to return and the kingdom of God will be fully established. When there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more war, crime, no more abuse. But instead, a kingdom ruled by God's love and grace and mercy. We're looking forward to that day. We're saying, Lord, let that kingdom come and let me do anything I can to be a part of that kingdom coming here on earth. And until that day comes, we're doing our best to align our lives with God's will and his kingdom. So that's what we're praying for in this part of the prayer. Lord, let your will be done in my life and, and in the lives of the people around me. There was a, a Russian dissident um, named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and in his uh, book, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, um, he talks about the, the horrors that he endured in a, in a Soviet prison camp. Um, they were, you know, they were tortured, they were mistreated, just um, it was awful, everything, every horrible thing that you can imagine. And one day, um, he was praying with his eyes closed, and a fellow prisoner noticed and said with ridicule, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. And opening his eyes, he answered, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. And that's what we're talking about in this part of the prayer. God, I want to do your will. I want your will and your kingdom to be established in me. And, and then we're praying that for the people around us. So when I'm praying this part of the prayer, I'm, I'm praying, God, let your kingdom be established in my wife. You know, help her to be everything that, in every way the best that she can be for you. Let your kingdom be established in, in my children. And I pray for each one of them by name that God's kingdom will be established in them. Let your kingdom be established at North Lake Church. And I'm praying, you know, that God's kingdom will be established here and that he will do the things he wants to do in this church. You're praying that God's kingdom will be established in our leaders, our church leaders, our community leaders, our governor leaders, our president, you know. You're praying that God, God's kingdom will be established in our world. So that, that's what this part of the prayer is all about. And then the next, next thing is give us this day our daily bread. So now, now we're kind of bringing it more to us. So 
in this part of the prayer, we're just praying for daily provision, right? We're praying the idea is that we're dependent on God for our needs. And as his children, we don't need to stress and worry because we know God's going to take care of us. So we're saying, God, you know, give me my daily bread. Provide for my needs. Um, and it's important, I think, to recognize when we're praying for things and stuff, which is probably the most common part of many of our prayers. We're praying about, you know, all these things we need God to do. That God is concerned with our need, not our greed. Okay, so he's concerned about what we need and what is going to be beneficial to us. Not about every whim and desire and want that we have just for our own pleasure. Now, I think God is, again, he's like a heavenly father. Um, he's, he's a father. And as a father, many of you who are good fathers know you like to give good things to your children. You like to give them gifts. And you like to bless them. And so I think God is like that as well. It's not just, no, I'm just going to only give you what you need and that's it, no more. No, it's not like that. But God knows what we need better than we do and what will truly bless us more than we do. And sometimes he knows if he gave us that stuff that we're wanting so bad, that would actually be a harmful thing in our life. And it would not be a positive at all. So sometimes, you know, it, it, James said you sometimes that you pray and you don't have because you don't ask. But then he, he also said, and you ask and don't get what you pray for because you ask for things to just consume on yourself, things for your selfish pleasure. So God isn't so much worried about that. He, he wants to give you and bless you what is good for your life. So as you're praying, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, bring all those needs before God and, and, and bring them to him, but realize that God's concerned about your need, not your greed, right? Next, the next part of the prayer is forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The word debt speaks, to, speaks of our sins. So in this part of the prayer, we're acknowledging that our sin has created indebtedness to God. We recognize that we deserve to be punished for our sin, but Jesus paid that debt and took the punishment for us. So we're acknowledging our sin to God and asking him for forgiveness, which he freely gives. So in the same way that we have been forgiven, God also expects us to forgive others, right? In fact, this is something that's really interesting to me. This is the one part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus felt was so important that he repeated it again at the end of the prayer. Did you catch that? At the end of the prayer, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So unforgiveness actually becomes a barrier to receiving God's forgiveness. It's not that God doesn't want to give you that forgiveness. It's that when you choose not to forgive, you are actually putting a barrier between receiving that forgiveness. So this is a, a, an important principle. We could speak a, a whole message on this, but God wants us to forgive others. And I know some of you, chances are almost 100% that there's some of you in this room that have had somebody, even somebody close to you, do unspeakable things to you, things that should not be, that should not happen. And I know that when that happens, it's, it's human nature to not, to not want to forgive, to say, no, I do not release that person. I do not want to, you know, in any way acknowledge that I, I forgive them. 
But God is saying, son, daughter, I've forgiven you of everything. I've forgiven you of so much. Can you not also forgive those who've hurt you? And I want to encourage you to continue to, to seek that ability to forgive others. When somebody has hurt you grievously, it's not just a simple thing where we just say, okay, I forgive them, and boom, it's gone. I believe it often it's a thing that has to happen over time. But as we continue to bring that to God, as we even continue to out loud express the words, God, I forgive blank. I forgive that person. Even if we're not feeling it in our heart, as we continue to say those words, I believe over time, God will bring forgiveness. And I encourage you, even pray for those people. Pray that God will, will bring what they need into their lives so that they can come into relationship with them, him or that they can, they can, you know, in some way come to know him, that they can be different. So pray for those. You know, Paul said, pray for those who despitefully use you, those who persecute you. So we want, we want to pray prayers of forgiveness. Even if we're not feeling it inside, Continue to pray that way, and God will bring the feelings along. He will, will do that. And in some cases, it's very also a very positive thing to seek counseling. Sometimes uh, seeking professional counseling with a, ideally a Christian counselor can really help you walk through those things and process those things in a way um, to help you get to that point where you truly can forgive. Because unforgiveness, the, the bummer about unforgiveness, we do that partly as a, a way of like, striking out against that other person or wanting to hurt that person back but it only hurts us it, it hurts us far more than it ever hurts anybody else so I encourage you seek forgiveness and remember that just as we are saying God forgive me we forgive others during this part of the prayer I encourage you to to spend some time again some space saying God with your Holy Spirit bring to mind things that I need to be forgiven of and God will be faithful to do that, and you will have things come to your mind. You're like, oh, yeah, gosh, I spoke some unkind words to this person yesterday. God, please forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to do my best not to do that again. I repent of that. And that's, that should be part of your, of your time of, of praying for forgiveness as well. The next and last section there is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we know from James that God does not tempt us, right? James says very explicitly, God does not tempt us, but we are enticed by our own, our own lusts and desires. And we also know that the enemy comes and wants to tempt us. So the idea of this last portion of the prayer is praying that we will not give in to temptation or the Lord won't abandon us to temptation. We're saying, God, I need your strength. I need your help because you know my natural human desires to do things that are, are not in alignment with your, your word and not in alignment with your will. So we're praying, God, Help me not to fall to temptation. Keep me strong against temptation. We're recognizing there's a spiritual battle going on too. We're praying for strength to stand against the attacks of the enemy. And I think a great thing to do is to even visually put on the spiritual armor of God that we read about in Ephesians 6. So sometimes in my prayer time at this part, you know, I will be, I'll actually be doing that. I'll saying, Lord, I, I buckle the belt of truth around my waist. Let let my life be guided by truth. Let my words be guided by truth. Let me not fall into de deception or to deceiving others. 
and let, and let me commit myself to your truth. Lord, I take on the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, I thank you that you are my righteousness. It's not my good stuff. No, it's your righteousness, Lord. So I put on that breastplate of righteousness that you've given me. Lord, I put on the gospel shoes of peace. Lord, let, let my feet take me to the places where I can advance your will and your kingdom and not to places that will be anti that. Lord, I, I put on those gospel shoes of peace. Lord, I take up the shield of faith, God, that extinguishes all the, the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I'm praying, you know, God, let my life be guided by faith. Let me walk in faith. Lord, I take on that helmet of salvation. I thank you that you've saved me and that you protect me from the enemy, God, because of that salvation you brought in my life. Lord, I take that sword of the spirit, God, the word of God, let my life be guided by the word of God. Let your word be in my heart. Let it be on my lips. Let it be in my thoughts, God. Let me meditate on your word. So we're putting on visually kind of in our mind that spiritual armor, and we're praying that at the same time. That's a way of just, you know, shielding ourselves against the attacks that the enemy wants to throw at us. So again, the Lord's Prayer is just that fantastic model of prayer and gives us a great idea of how we can pray specifically, how we can really, you know, in a way, pray to God that's going to be effective. I want to just, this is going to take like two minutes, and that's just quickly give you three practical steps here for effective prayer. The first one is set aside a place for prayer. It's really great to have a regular place that you go to to pray, Maybe this might be in your bedroom, and maybe, a, maybe even set up a corner in your bedroom as a special place, and you set some items around you that, that remind you of prayer, or maybe it's just a place where you know you can be alone. But the idea is a place that will be as free of distractions as possible. Um, some of you, it may be a walk, taking a morning walk, and you're, you're doing a prayer walk, especially if you're in nature. I find that's a great way to pray. And you don't have to pray in the same place all the time, but it's good to have your go-to place, you know, that place that, that's familiar that you go to. The second thing is set aside a time for prayer. Um, try, to, try to, as much as possible, if your schedule allows it, build in a regular time for prayer. Because when we get into that habit and that regular routine, it's so much easier to keep, keep your, that prayer habit going. So try to set aside a regular time that you pray. Now, some of you guys are morning people. You're, you're larks, and, and morning is the best time for you. Other, others of you are owls, and maybe evening's the best time for you. But whatever you are, find that time that works best for you to pray. And the last thing is, is use a model for prayer. Like we were just talking about, the Lord's Prayer is a fantastic model, but there's some other models there. I gave you a, a page um, just for your reference of several different models that you can use for prayer. I like to, I found for me, if I use the same model like every day, that it can also get stale, you know, and that I can find myself praying the same thing. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to be babbling on like a pagan. So for me, a lot of times I'll rotate around, do different models, or I'll do different kinds of prayer, different prayer exercises, but do different things to keep it fresh. But the idea is to have some kind of model or plan that you're following. Because I don't know about you, but I found for me, if I just sit down to pray without any kind of model or guidance, my mind just is like all over the place and it's just so random and then boom, other things are coming into my mind and like, and then, oh yeah, that's right, I'm praying. And, but when I have a, 
a model or a guide to follow, it really helps keep me on track in a, in a much greater way. So those are just some practical tips for you. And I want to close with just also, we don't have time really to teach about fasting, but right after this passage, Jesus says, when you fast, and again, he talks about fasting in secret, not, not to, for the approval of men, but he did, I think it's interesting that he says, when you fast. He doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. So I think one of the things that God is also challenging us to do in our prayer lives, at least at, at, from you know, special times, or some people do it as a weekly discipline, but set aside some time to fast. And there's many ways that you can fast. You can totally fast all food. Um, that's a, called a total fast. You can do what's called a Daniel fast. That's where you, you fast more like pleasurable foods. You might fast meat and, and stuff with sugar and just drink water and no sugar drinks. That's a, that's a way of fasting. There's also an entertainment fast. And I think in our culture and society today, this can be one of the most powerful fasts that we can engage in is saying, okay, God, for a week, I'm going to watch no TV, not engage in social media, and not play any electronic games, I'm going to take an entertainment fast. For some of you, that might be an eye-opening experience. You might be like, wow, what do I do with my time here? I'm, I mean, I'm usually, you know, sitting around watching three hours of TV, or, um, you know, I'm usually, you know, looking at social media all day. So I encourage you to consider an entertainment fast as a way, way to, to um, just separate yourself from those things. And the purpose of any fast is to draw us closer to God. It's, it's a way of humbling ourselves to God and saying, God, I'm putting, away, putting aside the things of the world that tend to consume me and consume my attention, and instead I'm going to direct that time to you. So fasting without prayer is not really that valuable. Fasting should be coupled with prayer. The idea is we're setting aside those things to spend more time in prayer. I want to leave you this, this quote, and that is, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. So again, our big idea, pray Jesus' way, secretly, sincerely, and specifically. I want to just put up, before we uh, go to prayer here, just put up our action point slide. And here's just some ideas. Again, we want, to, we want to take personal action on what we're hearing today. Otherwise, it's useless. Why did you come, right? If we're just coming and listening to a nice message and we go away unchanged or don't make any adjustments in our life, it's really pointless. So what I want to encourage you to do is to, to take some kind of personal action point. And now I, I know some of you have already done this. Some of you took up the, the three-week challenge that we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, and you already put a prayer plan into place in your life for those three weeks. So awesome. You've already done it. If you, Done point one if you've done that. But there's some other action points here. Try using a prayer model this week. Use one of those models to pray. Or... I'm, this is something I'm going to do this week is set aside just a special um, week of prayer for this church. And so I'm putting my, and this, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not a morning person. I am not a lark. So this is a stretch for me, but I'm going to force myself to be here at 6 a.m. Um, in the morning every day this week. 
And I just want to encourage you, if you can work it in your schedule, to come out at that time in between 6 and 7. What we're going to do is we'll just start out at 6 um, by praying together, you know, praying for needs and things together. And I'll also give you just like a, maybe a, like a three or four minute teaching on a way to pray and then it'll be kind of like a prayer lab. You can kind of check, you can try that prayer out that day, that way of praying. Some, some of them are going to be prayer models. Some of them are going to be other exercises of ways that we can pray. So I just encourage you, if you can make it work in your schedule, to be here at uh, 6 a.m. Monday through Friday this week, any, any day or days that you can make it. I'm committing myself to be here. And if it's just me here, hey, I'll have a great time in prayer myself. But I hope that some of you will come and join me. Um, and I encourage you this week also to try to set aside some time to fast in some way. Maybe do an entertainment fast or a Daniel fast or maybe fast one day from food or, you know, do something like that as a way of just, just humbling yourself before God and saying, God, I need you. I need more of you in my life. I want to pray on behalf of myself and on behalf of the church. I want to pray for God to move in this church and do great things in our church. So I'm just encouraging you this week to set aside some special time to do that. Uh, let's, let's pray right now. God, we thank you for what your word shows us about prayer. God, and I just pray that you will just kindle an excitement in our lives about prayer, not a not a drudgery or that, oh, I have to pray. No, Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to pray and, I, I, and to be able to address you as our Father. So I just pray, God, that you will um, just do that in people's lives and uh, that you will help them this week to set aside some special time for prayer, to set aside some special time to fast and just to commit themselves in a greater way, Lord, so that they can receive more of what you want in their lives. Lord, let that be done.